Well, I wanted to take a moment and um, acknowledge the fact that uh, sadly summer is over for a lot of our people here today. Um, school is starting back tomorrow for many of our students and teachers and homeschool parents and teachers and administrators. And so I wanted to just spend a moment um, and ask for God's grace on this school year uh, for everyone involved, that he would be exalted in the, the education and training of our kids and from the student side, that he would be exalted in the hard work and the effort that is put forth uh, to learn and to grow so that you can be equipped um, to live in this world and be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's start off today um, before I begin preaching in just a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we we come to you, Father, with uh, great thankfulness, Lord, for the respite and the rest that you give our children and, and teachers and and school officials, God, um, during the summer break, the opportunity for families to go on vacation and spend time together. Lord, all these things are gifts, good gifts that you give us, and we're thankful for that. And God, we're, we're thankful, Lord, that in this upcoming school year, Lord, by your grace, that uh, you would be exalted um, with the training of our kids and uh, Lord, the, the effort that's put forth by teachers and school leaders. Um, Father, we pray that you would uh, bless that time, that you would use it for your glory in many different ways, Father. We know that in um, the opportunities that teachers have, God, to, to model Christ and, and to live out Christ in the classroom, uh, Lord, we pray they would be faithful to do that. We pray that students would uh, be faithful to study and learn and, and listen and, and put forth the effort uh, so they can achieve the goal of, of being instructed uh, rightly and, and in doing so, um, Lord, as, as your word says, God, work heartily unto the Lord and not to men. And so, Father, we pray for those things. God, we ask, as always, just for patience and mercy and grace in these moments. Lord, I know in our household with homeschooling and uh, Lord, the difficulties and challenges that that brings. Um, but Lord, we acknowledge that across the board, whether it be in institutions or at home. And so we ask that you would give, just give divine patience to students and to teachers and to leaders. Um, and that all things, God, you would be glorified. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, take a break, uh, just a brief break from 1 Corinthians um, just to kind of share what's something that's on my heart, something that the Lord's been teaching me. Um, he teaches me each week, but it's, it's always a joy to kind of take a step out of a, a long series like a study through the book of the Bible, like 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today. Um, and kind of to, to set this up, the, the job that I have with Coleman and Owen, I, I drive around the city a lot. And um, I go from project to project, and, and so I'm in lots of different areas of our city. And in doing so, I, I see a lot of the poverty and the need that we don't really get to see in Bartlett. Um, very, very few pockets of Bartlett that really um, display a physical need just by what the houses look like, just by 
uh, the, the situations that people are going through. And, uh, but when you step outside of Bartlett, you really can see the challenges and the struggles. And I see that, and it's been a concern of mine as of recently, um, just kind of my attitude toward need. So if I could just be a little transparent with you this morning. Um, you know, oftentimes, and I think particularly during the time of COVID, we became, because of COVID and the, and the, the virus and the struggle with sickness, we became very inclusive, even as the church. And so therefore, ministry suffered. And we began to become so inwardly focused on not getting sick and staying well and being protected and however that might be, that we forgot as a church that the main, one of the main missions of the church is reaching out to those who are helpless and in need. And I know that I have, I, I grew in a sense kind of callous to that um, because with that epidemic that we went through, a lot of different things f- came after that. Like, for example, suspicion. Um, and so with suspicion, we oftentimes, suspicion kind of puts a damper on mercy, ministry, and compassion because we're always wondering what people's motives are behind their need. And I know that is for me. Um, so, for example, you drive down the road, you stop at a stoplight, and you see a guy begging for money. Now, if you're anything like me, you're thinking all the, the things in your mind about, well, how did he get here? How did she get here? And what's she going to do with my money? And what's he going to do with my money? And what the Lord's really been showing me is that a heart of compassion that is born and bred in the life of a Christian that's been transformed by Christ thinks very differently about those things. Because... Christ, in the display of mercy and grace in the gospel of Jesus, didn't ask questions before He saved us. He didn't ask for conditions. He didn't ask for, well, are you going to promise to do better? He reached out and He chose to save us. And He chose to do that completely and totally by His own grace and power. And so I... Spending time in the Word and uh, just being reminded of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just want to share with you this morning how we as a church can think about and replicate and model compassion the way that Jesus had it. Um, So we're looking at Matthew chapter 9. It's a pretty simple passage. It's a summary passage in the story of the Gospels. A lot of these are overlooked because they're just like, Jesus went here and there, and and then it's a transition to another set of stories. But in this passage, while while it is a summary statement or a summary verse, a set of verses, it gives us one of the most profound uh, gospel calls uh, that we can that we have in the scripture. Um, so let me just read this again. Jeremy read it beautifully. I don't want to uh, repeat it for that sake, but just so that we can be reminded. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. 
And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So I want to challenge you this morning as we begin for you to ask yourself, do you display compassion the way the Lord Jesus did and the way that he desires for us to as his people? Well, the only way we can answer that is, number one, is to look at how Jesus was a compassionate and, and, and loving Savior. Because ultimately, when we live in this world, we display and replicate the very characteristics of God that He has given us, that He has empowered us to possess. We don't possess them fully. There are some attributes that we cannot possess, like His omniscience and His omnipotence. But there are those that God literally infuses within us so that love can not only be received, it can be, reciproc- or it can be dealt out and dispersed. And in the same way, we understand that Jesus displayed compassion. He says that in this passion, in this verse, that seeing them, He felt compassion for them. And so we need to understand what is compassion in the realm of what uh, is communicated in the character of God. Compassion is not some emotion that drives us to bring about change. Compassion is not something that should be ignored or suppressed, but compassion is us uh, first having a heart of seeing need and wanting to do something about it. So in other words, we can't just have an emotional feeling and call it compassionate. Oh, that's a really sad story or that's a really sad situation because compassion calls us to action. It literally is bound up in Scripture with the word mercy. So in other words, oftentimes it's described as a compassionate heart leads to an act of mercy or acts of mercy for someone else. So for example, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 78, the character of God is on display and it says, but he being compassionate... This is the New American Standard. Forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and he did not arouse all of his wrath. Now what's interesting in Psalm 78 is that in some translations it actually says, but he being merciful. In my translation it says, but he being compassionate. Because those words are oftentimes interchangeable in the, the, the Greek and the Hebrew language. But the point is still simple is that God displays from a compassionate heart acts of mercy for us where He is, in this case, restraining His anger, forgiving sin and iniquity, not destroying those who deserved to be destroyed. Being merciful, being compassionate, we could say are almost the same thing. And that is the story of God. God has shown that rooted in His love, He displays compassion and mercy by coming to humanity and providing a way of of escape and redemption from the bondage of sin. He does not have to save us. We are helpless and destitute in our sin. And what does He do? He comes to us and He provides a way of redemption and freedom from that bondage. He is intentional to do so. Not on condition. 
He doesn't come because things got messed up and He's come to provide a way. This was the plan of His sovereign will to bring about redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it was an act of compassion. And He offers that way of escape through Jesus, who doesn't ask questions, who needs no explanation from us. He doesn't need to know why we rebelled against Him because God already knows the answer to that. Instead, without explanation, without condition, God saves sinners because He is a God of love, acting with compassion and mercy. We're very familiar with the passage where Moses encounters God and God describes Himself to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Here God is saying, if you don't understand, this is the, the God I am, and these are the attributes that define me as, as, as a person who is out of love, showing compassion and mercy to those who are in need. So the story of God is this. God showed compassion on, on, a, on humanity that was helpless and in need. And this is the ministry, this is defined in the ministry of Christ. Throughout His ministry and His life on this earth, what did Jesus do? He displayed the same 100% compassion to those He encountered. Countless stories of Jesus' ministry showing and displaying a heart of compassion that leads to mercy toward the helpless. He had compassion on those of the crowds that followed Him who were hungry. And what did He do? He acted upon that with mercy to go and send the disciples out, gather food, which wasn't enough, which led to one of the greatest miracles that Jesus accomplished by feeding the 5,000. Jesus would see beggars who could not walk, beggars who could not see. And what did He do? He acted with compassion and mercy and He healed them. He had compassion on social outcasts like immoral women, often inciting greater criticism from His opponents. And what did He do? He ignored their protests. He ignored the social stigma that would have been placed upon Himself and instead... He responded in love and cared to them. Even the very act of Jesus sitting at a table with those who were considered immoral women was an act of intimacy and fellowship with them because He was reaching out without condition and showing, I I love you, I care for you, I want to help you. Matthew is just another example in chapter 9 of Jesus showing compassion. And he helps us understand very briefly in this passage a couple of very key truths about compassion. Number one, we can understand that compassion has no boundaries. Jesus' ministry was boundless. In other words, we see that he was traveling from cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. There were no boundaries culturally that Jesus wasn't willing to go to and confront with the truth of God and His Word. There was no boundaries culturally that Jesus was re- refused to go to where He would not show love and care. 
The very leper who was there segregated from society felt the touch of love and compassion from the Lord Jesus. His very disease screamed, do not touch me. And yet Jesus shows love and compassion to him. So when we think about the love of Christ and the compassion that He shows, we understand that there cannot be cultural boundaries that keep us from showing compassion to other people. One of the great stories of the Bible that teaches us this is the Good Samaritan. There you have a man who was religiously and culturally distinct traveling down the road and seeing a wounded man, someone who was different from him, someone who was uh, socially divided from him, he would call him most likely his enemy. And while these other two Jewish men had passed by, who we would expect to help the Jewish man who was hurt, no, it was the Good Samaritan who acted out in compassion to serve the needs of the other person not allowing cultural differences to keep them from one another. So compassion has no boundaries, culturally, geographically, but it also, compassion holds no records of wrong. Just as compassion is not bound culturally, it should not be held conditionally. If compassion is rooted in the love of God, and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love holds no records of wrongs, then our acts of compassion cannot be bound up in the mistakes of other people. No, instead, we hold no records of wrongs in our love for all people, therefore we are showing compassion regardless of who has offended us. And folks, I'm not just talking about the church. Most of the acts of compassion by Jesus were people that we would say were lost and without Christ. The very aspect of Jesus washing the feet of Judas shows us that He was willing to serve even His enemies. Jesus going to these synagogues time after time, regardless of the responses that He got, There in these synagogues were the religious leaders who were His enemies. They rejected Him, just as they did the Apostle Paul years later. And what do we see as a response to this? A faithfulness to continue to take to them the message of the Gospel, showing compassion and care toward these people. So these are kind of prerequisites that that compassion holds no boundaries culturally, geographically, but also relationally. We can't put conditions on who we're going to help and serve because if we have the love of Christ within us, compassion is not bound by even condition. So what is compassion then? How can we... Define it. Basically, the the model that Jesus gives us is that He, first, compassion meets physical needs, and second, compassion meets spiritual needs. Compassion meets physical needs. Shows We see this throughout Scripture where Jesus is literally coming to them and feeding them and healing them and caring for them emotionally. 
These are the physical needs of these helpless people. The very aspect of the Gospel is what? That we were helpless. And that Jesus came to us and meets our spiritual needs. And so as we as the church go and, and understand the, the role and the responsibility in our, in our world today, we oftentimes will leave out the meeting of the physical needs only to get to the meeting of the spiritual needs. And we acknowledge that's the priority. But all through Scripture, for, for the people of God to be a blessing to the nations is, includes the church helping and caring for people where they are helpless where they are destitute. Deuteronomy chapter 15. God was very specific through the mouth of Moses to the people of Israel with these words. If a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you, you shall freely open your hand to him and generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, well, the seventh year is coming, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him. And your heart shall not be grieved when you give to Him. Because of this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. This is a command, not even just to Israel, but modeled by our Savior and Lord. Meeting the physical needs of people. But we acknowledge that compassion is not just meeting physical needs, as I said. Feeding people and making sure they're taken care of with lodging and clothing and food means nothing if their soul is bound to hell. And so ultimately, the mission of the church, while meeting physical needs should be our priority and not neglected, the ultimate priority, the chief among all things, is that compassion targets spiritual needs. That while we are physically helpless, we are ultimately spiritually helpless. And therefore, our desire to be and emulate the Lord of compassion is to target spiritual needs. The church is not called to social reform, but to spiritual reform. And therefore, we can help bring about spiritual change by the power of the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of God at work in this world. We meet people's physical needs through acts of compassion, but we can't stop there. Humanity's greatest need is to be reconciled to God. And therefore, our compassion moves beyond their physical needs to where they stand in relationship to their Creator. People need to be reconciled to God more than they need food or clothing or a place to live. They need a relationship that's restored to their Creator. They need to be at peace with their greatest enemy. And all of this is accomplished through the work of Christ upon the cross. Therefore, the mission of the church starts with meeting physical needs, 
with the ultimate goal of meeting spiritual needs which are found only in Christ. Matthew summarizes this for us perfectly in Matthew chapter 9. We see that Jesus was going through all the cities and he's all the villages and he's teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There, what is he doing? He's meeting the spiritual needs. He's engaging those people in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Those first two are spiritual issues. The last is physical as he is healing all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. Now, when we understand Jesus going to the synagogues, this was a model of of the Lord Jesus, replicated by the Apostle Paul and and other uh, apostles, where they would go and they would engage the Jewish people, expounding upon the Scriptures in the synagogues. Now, we know synagogues came about during the Babylonian time, and they continued on during the time of Christ. And in those synagogues... There was opportunity uh, in the community of Israel for the Old Testament Word to be expounded upon. And Jesus would use this opportunity, and Paul would use this opportunity to go in and, and, and teach and expound upon the Word so that there was not improper interpretation of what was really being taught in the Old Testament. Matthew also says that not only was Jesus doing this very doctrinal kind of uh, instruction and teaching, but he's also proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In church, the gospel of the kingdom is a gospel of compassion. It's the very root of what we have experienced. God's compassion for helpless people. That is us. And what is he doing? He's proclaiming that salvation comes only in Jesus' name. And that that you, by accepting Christ and believing in Him, can belong to a kingdom that replicates that compassion in our world. And here we see then that Jesus' ministry is summarized as targeting both physical and spiritual needs. And then we come to kind of the chief section of this of this verse, of these verses, where it says, seeing the people. What people? Just generally, the, the people that he was ministering to throughout these, these lands. Seeing them, he felt compassion for them. Why was he feeling compassion for them? Because they were distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd. I love the imagery of the Bible because it gives us such beautiful pictures. Like, for example, as we sang this, morning, this afternoon, Jesus being our shepherd. Can you not think of a better example for Jesus as a displayer and dispenser of compassion? I mean, when you think about a shepherd, you think about a, a man who is serving this flock of sheep who are completely and totally helpless in and of themselves, And He is caring for them in multiple ways. Protecting them, providing uh, food for them, providing a shelter for them, guiding them and leading them in a proper way. It personifies compassion as the role of a shepherd does. And Jesus, having this compassion, Matthew says, 
because the people were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now we have varying translations here today, and these words are difficult uh, in to to come to a, a, an agreement across the translations where he says they were distressed and dispirited. Already you're looking at your Bible and goes, my Bible doesn't say that. Well, the ESV says that they were harassed and helpless. My Bible, the New American Standard, says distressed and dispirited. The King James is weary and scattered, and the New Living Translation is confused and helpless. These are words that are simply pointing to the fact that that sheep are in need and the people were in need and Jesus felt compassion because compassion is acting upon people who are in need. Helping them. And there's no better imagery than Jesus being our shepherd and we as sheep being the defenseless creatures who are uh, helpless without Him. Their survival depends on someone taking care of them. I read about a documentary about sheep and their herd instincts that give an explanation of the defenseless state. It was filmed in a packing house where sheep were being slaughtered for the meat market. And huddled in pens outside were hundreds of nervous animals that seemed to sense some kind of danger. And a gate opened up that led up a ramp and threw a door to the right. And to get the sheep to walk up the ramp, the handlers used what was called a Judas goat. The goat did its job very efficiently. He walked to the bottom of the ramp and he looked back at the sheep. And then he took a few more steps and stopped again. And then the sheep kind of got the signal, we better follow this goat here. And they began to follow the goat up the ramp. And as they get to the top of the ramp, the goat turns to the left into this little bitty door and the, and the sheep turn to the right to their death. They follow one after the other. It's a great picture of our helplessness. It's a great picture that the Lord Jesus Himself reminds us when He calls us sheep and He our great shepherd. Isaiah 53 reminds us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on Him. So therefore, our lostness as sheep, our helplessness as sheep, is a spiritual problem. And that's why we need Christ to come and display compassion and love to save us. Not just to meet our physical needs, but to literally restore us in a perfect relationship with our Creator. And so he does that. He steps in to rescue helpless sheep and provides a way of escape so that we might feast and be satisfied with God. And so Jesus, again, seeing them as distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And so then he speaks to his disciples. And he says to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech or pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. It's kind of an interesting jump here. Because we we go from one metaphor to another. 
Jesus is looking at those who are helpless, both physically and spiritually. He has compassion for them. Some have called it divine pity. We know Jesus fulfilled uh, the, the, the work of the Father, the plan of the Father by bringing about redemption for those who were helpless. And then he moves from one metaphor of like the, the, the fold to a new metaphor of the field. And I think he does this because it's a challenge for us, the church and his people, particularly his disciples, but in the future, the church, that we would be co-laborers in compassion. That we would partner with the Lord Jesus himself to bring about the message of compassion and acts of compassion into a dying world. And so in this agricultural metaphor, Jesus tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What Jesus is showing us is is that this helplessness that can only be remedied by God's love and grace... It's the very situation in which we live today and in Jesus' day. He calls it the harvest. When we think about a harvest, it's, it's an interesting metaphor that Jesus would use because typically in the harvest, all the crops have come to fruition or, or maturity. They've been cultured and, and they've been planted and, and nurtured so that they grow properly. And harvest time is now to reap And cut that away from the plant to harvest the produce. And it's kind of a challenging metaphor because what Jesus is speaking about is the spiritual needs of the world. And so what's best to interpret this is that Jesus is talking about the work in which He is bringing about sovereignly and perfectly to save sinners, to be in with acts of, of spiritual compassion for them, providing a way of their escape, that this would be the harvest that is plentiful. And it's a very challenging and, and beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God at work throughout history and time where He brings about the harvest. That harvest being the the souls of people who are ripe and ready to receive Christ. He's not saying, go out and gather all the Christians. He's saying, go out and, and, and proclaim this mission and this gospel that I have been preaching because the harvest is ready to be reaped and the harvest is ready to be gathered. He's calling the church to accomplish the spiritual mission that He has called us to. And so tied to compassion, it's best to see that the church goes forward intentionally showing compassion to the world, trying to meet their physical needs and pointing them to the gospel that meets their spiritual needs. Because the spiritual harvest is being prepared by the work of God. That the Spirit of God is, at move, is moving and at work throughout time and history to bring about people who would believe and trust in Him. 
And from the very beginning of of God's story to the very end, we see beautiful examples. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are beautiful examples of being a part of that harvest. One example that I love in the Bible is in Acts chapter 16, the story of Lydia. A woman named Lydia, the Bible says, was from Thyatira. Thyatira, she was a seller of purple fabrics, a a worshiper of God. And she had come to Macedonia there where she engaged with Paul. And there at at a riverbank, Paul was proclaiming the gospel to her and she was listening to him. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, if you remember, Paul was not planning to go to this area. But God gave Paul a vision, and in that vision he saw a man from Macedonia pleading with Paul to come. And Paul kind of changed course to go to this far west area of the region in Macedonia. And as he went, what did God do? He had already cultivated the harvest. He had already prepared the people, to hear the message and receive Christ. This is the sovereignty of God at work. This is Him cultivating the good soil that the seed would go into and producing the crop so that all we have to do is be faithful to send the message, deliver the message, proclaim the gospel of Jesus, and the Lord by His Spirit's work will open the hearts and minds of people. Spurgeon, in one of his devotional commentaries, says it like this, Christ finds His sheep often in the worst of tempers, in the most hardened conditions, and He softens their hearts, awakens their consciences, subdues their pride, and takes them to Himself. But they never would have come to Him unless He came to them. Sheep go astray. They do not come back again by themselves. Ask the shepherd whether his sheep would come back, and he will tell you, No, sir, they will wander and they will never return. When you find a sheep that ever came back by himself, then you may hope to find a sinner that will come to Christ by himself. No, Spurgeon says, it must be sovereign grace that must seek the sinner and bring him home. So Jesus tells His disciples, the harvest is ready. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. It's interesting. He's not telling the disciples specifically to be a part of this harvest because they're already committed to it. But that's the message to us. Matter of fact, in in the very next verses in chapter 10, he's summoning his disciples, giving them authority over unclean spirits, and sending them out. They're already on board with the mission. But we are reminded in these passages that to fulfill the Great Commission is to be reminded that the harvest is ready for us to go out, and for us to go out, we must be willing to disperse and give out acts of mercy and point people to the merciful God who will save their souls. 
We can't leave those two parts out. Salvation is the most necessary. Acts of compassion and grace and mercy are also important. Because in this world, we are called to emulate Christ in His ministry of compassion. We must be willing to sacrifice ourselves, our time, our finances, our energies to meet both physical and spiritual needs in the world around us. We can't require prerequisites or explanations. We can't ask an impoverished, dirty man to clean himself first in order to give him some food. Because the Lord didn't do that with us. But instead, showing grace and mercy allows us the opportunity to reflect the character of God, reflect the very love that Christ has displayed for us, and in doing so, gives us opportunity to explain the truth of the gospel message so that people might be saved. And I think we should be careful that a cup of soup or a warm sandwich or a bag of clothes is not a bargaining chip to share the gospel. We're not saying, if you take this and receive this, then you have to listen to me. Because acts of compassion should be displayed whether people hear the gospel from us or not. My job as a preacher doesn't allow me to show acts of compassion on the street to people who may be passing by. I just declare the message of of the gospel and people respond. And no, no one's ever received an act of mercy from that context. My point being is that we shouldn't use our gifts and our compassion as some means of manipulation so that people would hear the message of the gospel. Because if people are a part of the harvest, God has already prepared them to hear the message. Their hearts are ready to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ and be changed. This is what He does. He's done it for us and He will do it as we are faithful. But the workers are few. And pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. This is our call. This is our mission to be faithful, to not be callous to the needs of people around us, to not be too busy, to not be people who consider those things as unimportant. We must focus on showing the love of Christ in the world around us so that we might be people who reflect the character of God, the compassion of our Lord Jesus to the lost and dying world. J.I. Packer says it this way, that the church keeps the great second commandment and gives credibility to their proclamation of a Savior who makes sinners into lovers of God and of their fellow human beings. If they do, credibility is enhanced. 
This is what Jesus' point was when he envisioned the sight of good works of the witnesses leading people to glorify the Father. Good works should be visible to back up good words. So let us pray. Let us ask the Father to raise up leaders. Faithful leaders who will go and proclaim the message, who will show compassion to the world. But let us first be faithful leaders ourselves to do those very things. Because as we do that, without condition, we reflect the love that Christ has shown us. Let's pray. Father, thank you.